I think I read a statistic when I was doing, working on this, that something like a third of the reasons why people drop out of school is due to housing insecurity because they can either go to school or eat. That's Abby Kundal talking about housing insecurity. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. I do these podcasts as a way to share more of what I find out in my journalism travels. And today, the conversation is with students and people who have recently graduated. Some of them are scientists-to-be. Others are studying politics or economics or nursing. What connects them all is their student and life experiences, their thoughts and activism related to housing and housing insecurity, which is today's theme. I did a story for Nature Methods on housing insecurity, and there's a blog post too. The links are in the show transcript. Science and academia need diversity. That's easy to say and hard to turn into practice, just as it is when you say society needs diversity. Many researchers are active in the way they help to make science more diverse, more equitable and inclusive. Today, this podcast is about what some students are doing to change things related to housing for students and for non-students, too. What does diversity have to do with housing insecurity? A lot. One aspect about diversity, equity, and inclusion is about making it easier for everyone to gain access to education and training if they choose that path. They might apply to a college or a university, and applying can be the start of a career in science, technology, engineering, and many other fields. First, your application needs to get you accepted into a college or university. If you are accepted, then you can celebrate. And right after that, you need to start focusing on studies, how to finance that, and organize your life. And that includes housing. Perhaps a student lands student housing and has parents or guardians who help to pay for that. Not everyone can go that route. Others need affordable housing and just can't find it. And that's when housing insecurity gets in the way of their studies. As Dr. Stacy Praniski from the Hope Center for College Community and Justice at Temple University mentioned to me, three in five students who completed their surveys were experiencing food insecurity, housing insecurity, and or homelessness. The team there did a large-scale survey and had input and data from many students. Almost half of the students who had completed the surveys had experienced housing insecurity in the last 12 months. The number is even higher, she says, when you draw in more basic needs such as access to childcare, transportation, technology, and physical and mental health care. As she puts it, this figure has been remarkably and tragically stable that almost half of students who have completed the surveys had experienced housing insecurity in the last 12 months. Housing insecurity is a bundle of different factors that all mean one does not have a safe, affordable, and constant place to live. It's tiring. It's difficult. People might not have enough money and miss paying rent some months or miss paying their utility bill, or people live in overcrowded or unsafe conditions. For the researchers, strictly speaking, housing insecurity does not exactly include homelessness or students living in their car. Around 14% of students who completed their surveys were experiencing homelessness. In many instances, though, housing insecurity and homelessness are grouped together as two sides of a similar problem. In today's episode, you will hear students talk about all of this. 
For students, as Leanne Davis says, who was also at Temple University and is now a researcher at the nonprofit Education Northwest that focuses on educational inequities, Leanne Davis explains institutions, the colleges and universities that Temple University team had worked with, find that affordable housing options for students are extremely limited for post-secondary students. There are all sorts of hurdles, such as leasing barriers for students. There are systemic barriers too, which means it affects certain people more. And in the U.S., that would be Black, Latino, Latina, Indigenous students, and students who belong to a group that is traditionally marginalized. Housing insecurity affects them. Colleges and universities won't be able to solve this problem on their own, she says. It takes community and a regional approach to address the ecosystem of students' basic needs. I should add that this podcast is about students in the United States, but I also interviewed students in Groningen in the Netherlands and campus and city officials too. There's more about that in the blog post. Groningen students face issues of housing insecurity, and that is true for many university cities and towns in Europe. Okay, back to the U.S. and back to Abby Kundal. When she was a student at University of California, Santa Cruz, Abby Kundal was involved in an organization called CARE, a community organization focused on homelessness in Santa Cruz. And she was a co-founder and co-president of the Slug Shelter. She and fellow student Connor Kensuk wanted to help fellow students who were experiencing insecurity, including homelessness. Affordable housing is hard to come by in Santa Cruz and on-campus housing is limited. Slug shelter. I should explain, since you might wonder about the name, banana slugs are animals, and they are the mascot of the University of California at Santa Cruz campus. Also, I wanted to apologize for the audio quality of my conversation with Abby Kundal. I was traveling and on an unstable internet connection, and Abby Kundal was on her cell phone. She was also in the middle of an electricity outage in San Jose, where I reached her. Here's Abby Kundal. Yeah, we weren't expecting it to. We got about mm, 45 minutes warning, and then, yeah, it's been out for a few days. Oh, I'm so sorry. That really, that stinks. So um, we were co-directors of a club on campus called CARE, Community Aid and Resources, um, that had been an established club at UC Santa Cruz for a few years at least, um, since I was a freshman anyway. And then when COVID hit, all of the things that we were doing in that club were really face-to-face. Like we, we were doing outreach for the homeless population. So, and, and then we weren't allowed to do that at the bar because of COVID. And so um, the co-director, the other co-director and I, his name is Connor. He found a, I think it was the, um, the Bruin house down in Southern California, and I'm pretty sure that was UCLA, I want to say, that has that one, um, or the, the Bruin Shelter, something like that, and that it was a it was similar concept, so students created a shelter for students experiencing homelessness, and it was completely student-run, um, and he found it online, and he was like, hey, we should look into doing this, and I said, yeah, why not, so... We looked at it. We were hoping we could get it up and running. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't find a space for the shelter. So um, by the time I graduated and could no longer be part of the club just because, you know, it's a club for students, um, 
So once I graduated, I had to pass it on to the next director who we interviewed and, and chose to help with the project. Um, we it, we we they didn't find a space, so they've now changed it to I don't remember the name of it now. Um, it appears that the shelter never did get established at UCSC, although the university, it seems, wasn't in principle against it. You'll hear more about this later in this podcast, too. Here's Abby Kondal talking about conversations they had with the UCSC leadership. There was a little bit of pushback as far as having the shelter on campus property. Um, I don't think that it was that they didn't want the shelter to happen at all. Might have been a policy thing. They also, in some of the meetings that I had, I had met with, I think an assistant dean. Honestly, it's been you know two, three years now, so I, I could be wrong. But we met with one of the higher ups on on the board, and they did say that they felt that UC Santa Cruz was doing as much as they could to help students in need, and didn't want to. Um, take away from any of their their other programs. This is an issue I came across in my reporting also, for example, in the Netherlands. Universities want to grow, except more students and housing resources don't increase to be in step with those larger student numbers. U.S. colleges and universities, and I'm just adding this because this is not typical around the world, U.S. colleges and universities often offer on-campus housing for students, which is not free. But having student housing does not mean that automatically every student is allocated housing. When she started at UCSE, Abby Kundal says there was a guarantee of housing for freshmen, and that changed. So when I was a freshman, or actually when I was accepted to the university, um, there was a two-year housing guarantee for first and second year students. time I was a sophomore, I think that incoming freshmen only had a one-year guarantee of housing. Yeah. Um, the, the school was accepting more students, and they didn't have the housing to support all of those students. And because Santa Cruz is surrounded by mountains and forests, there wasn't really a, a space to expand into, um, and it, it took quite a bit because it is a protected national forest. UCSE offers classic student housing, such as dorm rooms, and they also offer something called Camper Park, which is cheaper than a dorm room. On the website, it's called a unique campus housing option. It's a 42-space camper park for continuing undergraduate students, so it's not for students who have just been admitted or people who have just transferred to the school. It's sort of like being on a campground. Trailers are provided and have a bed, a small kitchen, and there's a community building with restrooms, showers, laundry, and a study room. A link is in the show notes and a video with a tour. It was smaller when Abby Kundal was at UCSE, and Camper Park has grown from just a few campers since then. So that that had been established long before I was a student there. Um, And they are, I think it's about 10 campers, although I never actually visited the space. Um, And they're kind of, you know, immovable now. Um, Right. But they're... I, I think they may have been delegated through the school, though. Um, I don't know that it was a student-run organization. I, I, if it started that way, maybe, but um, I think that it was now through the school that they delegated those. And then there's only, you know, 10, maybe 20 
for students, and that's just not enough for the need. Housing insecurity is dreadful. Not knowing where you're going to live, needing to move all the time, not feeling safe if you are somewhere that is affordable, all these things get in the way of studying. So I was lucky enough, I never experienced housing insecurity personally, but I did have friends um, or and acquaintances and you know classmates who did, and I heard about their stories. Ultimately, it's, it's you know, one of those things where you go into this major, you know, academically very prestigious school, and then you're stuck with housing insecurity, which there, I, I think I read a statistic when I was doing, working on this, that something like a third of the reasons why people drop out of school is due to housing insecurity, because they can either go to school or eat, or, you know, stay in a home or anything like that and they just can't afford to go to school anymore so now they're out however much they they got in loans on top of you know not being able to further their careers or anything like that and it affects your education you know you're coming to class maybe um hungry or tired because you haven't had a good night's sleep, you can't study very well because you don't have a place to study, um, you know, every night you're just worried about where you're going to stay, and that takes a huge toll on anyone, and especially students who are trying to dedicate their time and energy to going to school and learning. Housing insecurity includes unsafe conditions. Yeah, and as far as the, you know, unsafe, I did have one person that I knew um, who was staying in an unsafe housing situation, though, and it was with an ex-partner who was, I'm not sure if he was physically abusive or just um, emotionally, but it was very unsafe for her to stay there. She couldn't go anywhere else, though. Abby Kandol landed a job in Crescent City as an EMT with an ambulance company, and when I spoke to her, she was applying to nursing schools. Right now, as far as volunteering, I'm working with the um, Del Norte Reeds Library and doing some tutoring there um, until I, hopefully after nursing school, I'll be working um, with underserved populations and hopefully nursing abroad so with other communities that need it. Word got out when Abby Kandel was working on homelessness while a UCSC student. This was about homelessness in the city and also housing insecurity among fellow students. Even before the shelter started, word got out and we were having students come to us and ask if we were open for student housing before we even had a space. So the need is still there um, for students and, you know, even for just the general public. So the shelter itself would have been only for students, but the club beforehand, the care club that I had been a part of, that was for outreach to the homeless population of Santa Cruz in general. So we would have um, drives every, we were we were on a quarter system, so we would have drives and such throughout the quarter, raising money, um, and then at, at the end of each quarter, we would have a booth next to one of the um, other volunteer organizations in the area who provided food to the homeless next to them and give out 
whatever supplies we had collected throughout the, the quarter. I did want to say, uh, tell you, I, um, I'm not sure if you know, but actually the, the Santa Cruz area had a very large homeless population for its housed population, and that's because a lot of the San Jose um, homeless were given a Greyhound, a one-way Greyhound ticket and told to go to Santa Cruz, and then they kind of got stuck there. Homelessness for students and for the general population is ugly and difficult. In addition to Abby Kondal, I reached out to some current UCSC students. That was in the summer, and it's taken me a while to produce this. You will meet them now. Some of them are members of the Student Housing Coalition that advocates for solutions related to housing. Here's Natalie Clifford. She showed me her dorm room, which you can't see since this is a podcast, and that might be a bit too private anyway to show, but you can hear the tour of her dorm room, which she shares with four other students. So my name's Natalie Clifford, and I go by she, her. I'm a proposed biology major. I haven't declared my major formally, but so, freshman. Right now I'm in the Summer Edge program, and it's Merrill, Merrill Dorms. This is actually my first... um, like college experience so this is like basically where you take it's basically an accelerated quarter like where you take classes and you get some credits before going into my first um like actual quarter which would be in the fall as a freshman so this is more like getting like an edge up that's why it's called summer edge on like college i'm in the dorms right now (laughs) oh wow oh cool (laughs) Oh, wow, yeah. that color, that wall color. <laughs> Do you want to see it? It's a, yeah. it's a quintuple. So oh, it's like, here's man. my bed. Here's like bunk beds and then another bed and another bunk bed. So five people. It's five too people. tight. And there's a window over on this side. Right. That's actually a really beautiful, beautiful view. Everyone has a desk. Everyone has a wardrobe unit. So like, here's my desk. Got it. Wow. Yeah. That is not a lot of space. So so basically this room right here used to be a common room, like a lounge area for the floor. But what happened was we ran out of uh, rooms. So they had to make this into a room with five people. We're actually very fortunate to have this room because we, we actually do have more square footage than the average student. Another person on the call is Emerald Waters. I'm Emerald Waters and I use she, her pronouns. I'm an economics major. I'll be starting my fourth year. When you are accepted to a university, you do not automatically get an offer related to housing. At UCSC, that leads to a need to look off campus for housing in many cases. Here's Emerald Waters. I think for most people, it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily given an option. You are either, your application is accepted, you're on priority, and then you get your options. But the majority of people get sent to a wait list. And then after a few months, they're then told whether or not there's space for them. So most people need to look off campus to find housing. They have certain priority groups. So there's different groups of students that are allowed um, to pick their room first. And I think international students are part of that. But I, I don't believe out-of-state students are. So they would be expected to find off-campus housing. Most housing options are... Housing, housing for families, so multiple bedrooms that you need to find multiple people to room with you. There's very, very few one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartments. 
Housing insecurity is a hurdle for students in so many ways. It makes it hard to study, and it's like a cloud hanging over you. It takes a toll on your mental health. Emerald Waters explains. For me personally, it really takes a toll on my ability to complete my classes and complete them with the grades that I want to complete them with. I think the most stressful time was um, my sophomore year. It was right as we were switching away from from COVID and going back to in-person classes. And I had to come back to campus, but it was in the middle of the year. So I lost all priority status and they put me on the wait list and I didn't have housing until three days before the first day of class. I wondered if these students turned to their professors for help with housing challenges. Let me add here that Emerald Waters is a Renaissance scholar at UCSC, and she explains what that means. Not in my experience. I haven't had professors help with housing. Um, there's a program called Renaissance Scholars that I'm a part of, and they try like op- were an option that I could communicate with. But I think so many Renaissance Scholars were in the same position as me that they didn't have time to get back to my email. So the Renaissance Scholars, it's mostly um, students who have experienced homelessness in the past or have had difficult childhoods. They get into the Renaissance Scholars program and then we're given um, like priority housing status and um, just some more guidance on campus to help us navigate. So I qualify for Renaissance Scholar because um, I am considered an independent student. So I don't have any contact with either of my parents. Um, It was a very... My childhood was it. I was in a very abusive situation. And so when I was 17, I had to, I was kind of like a, a runaway youth. And so because I don't have access to my parents, it blocks me in so many different ways for financial aid and all these things that require um, parental support or, or parental information. Ah, that sucks so much, but I really, uh, you should be proud that you've had the strength to remove yourself from that. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. That's really, really hard. And I guess heartening also for people who are in that situation, um, you know, what to do about this. Yeah, I see. So you're stuck, I guess you could say legally, but also the forms don't really have the little block, you know, boxes in there that you could tick that apply to you. I got it. Huh? Exactly. Natalie Clifford shares a bit more about her background. I am an, a considered out-of-state student. I'm from originally from uh, Massachusetts. So during the admissions process, I um, was considered out-of-state. and But I'm now a legal resident of California because my uh, dad actually uh, lives in California and has for the past like 10 years, and he paid child support. So I was able, there was like a clause in like one of the, one of the various like articles and whatever that like allowed me to become uh, automatically a California resident. So that's very great for me because tuition would be um, considered in-state. So very, very happy for that. Um, But yeah, I mean, my parents are divorced, separated. Like my dad lives in California for most of my life and my mom lived with me in uh, Massachusetts. Well, originally Indiana, but Massachusetts afterwards, I moved there. But I do have a good relationship with both of them which I'm very, um, I'm very fortunate to have. The difference between in-state and out-of-state tuition is a large one. So this helps her for her college years. Another person in the circle of students is Zenon 
Olyate Crow. He and Emerald Waters and another person on this call, Nicholas Robles, are member of the Student Housing Coalition, which works on issues of student housing, also housing insecurity. Zenon Olyate Crow worked on legislation related to housing. My name is Zenon, uh, Zenon Olyate Crow. Uh, you see him pronouns incoming third year at UC Santa Cruz. Um, and I uh, founded the UCSC Student Housing Coalition um, I guess two years ago. Well, and your your major, I think somebody uh, told me, but I, I'm forgetting it now, uh, Link. Politics. Awesome. We need that. I already said we need uh, <laughs> all of your majors, you know, e e economics and biology and, and things. And I think, um, is it correct to say that you were instrumental or helpful or what, whatever word um, on getting, uh, what's it, SB, uh, SB 886 passed? Yeah, so so I actually wrote uh, SB eight eight six and pitched it to people, and then ended up getting it to become a thing, and then advocated uh, and then helped advocate for it throughout the legislative process. There are some laws in California that were passed with good intent, but have been kind of appropriated uh, by NIMBYs and other folks looking to stop students, um, and have been basically. Uh, appropriated and uh, just ultimately used as tools of stopping students rather than their original intentions. Um, and so what SBA Just to jump in, so NIMBY, not in my backyard for the Dutch people who might be listening or whoever, I say not in my backyard is this idea, we love the idea of student housing, just not close to where we live, right? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, probably should have thought that when you bought your home next to the university, but <laughs> who am I to say? But <laughs> um, at any rate, um, yeah, so so basically what 886 did is it um, kind of aligned uh, already existing plans that have to go through certain uh, environmental mitigations um where previously they had to kind of double up those plans and redo the exact same plan for both at the large scale planning level and then also at each individual project that was built under the large scale planning level and so really it was just about saying that like once you've done the large scale scale level of planning um you don't have to also do it again for the project base level and so the the thing i was talking about in terms of like um the laws being abused is that each time a project um, has to undergo a, a environmental review in California, um, any person, um, no matter who, it could be organizations, it could be individuals, who be whatever, um, has the right to basically sue and say that the report that was commissioned was inadequate, whether or not it was inadequate or not. So it, it's and it's not typically just a thing that ends up putting projects in the courts for three to five years. I see. Um, and things don't get built and students don't get beds and all of that stuff. So now right. uh, cue the the cheesy, uh, I don't know, 1960s television music. All is great. And yes, building exactly. is yeah. <laughs> no, no, we, we you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do on it. Um, we, we still need to go back and actually do some cleanup on the legislation because uh, there are some things that some amendments that we had to take during committee that ended up making it a lot harder to actually utilize than um, we would like. So that, there, there's still more work to be done. But uh, it really was looking at, I mean, UC Santa Cruz, we had a project called Student Housing West that was approved and ready to go in 2019. And 
it's been in lawsuits ever since, and it's still in lawsuits. And phase one of that, which was 240 units of uh, beds for graduate students, um, family beds for graduate students, so these are family units, that was supposed to open this year, but it's not. And it hasn't even begun breaking ground, and it's still in the lawsuits. And you know, that's talking about Santa Cruz, where we have, we are now the most expensive place to live in the country. Um, and here's something that would have been 240 units for graduate students that have families. Um, and because some people that live near the university didn't want the university to expand, we're not getting that anymore. I mean, that, and, and I'll ask you some more. What was the no number in this podcast that I was just listening to? The Gimme Shelter one where they were talking, I think it was one in 20 um, University of California students uh, have bouts of homelessness. Are those numbers that they have in that podcast, is that about accurate? So it's, it's actually, it's higher at UC Santa Cruz specifically. We, we have the highest rate out of all the system. I wondered what types of solutions the Student Housing Coalition was tinkering with. It sounded to me like a tough situation overall, but maybe there are short-term fixes. Yeah, I mean, there there could be short-term solutions to get people in the housing like that, um, or short-term solutions to help people who are currently unhoused um, live in maybe a safer environment. Um, but really we just need, we need to build more housing and we need to have laws that allow us to build more housing because across California, there are several, it gets very complicated and there's several different laws for different reasons that make it very difficult for developers who want to build to allow them to build those units. A safe place to live is hard to come by. Unsafe housing conditions are also part of housing insecurity. Yeah, I mean, I think housing insecurity um, it's difficult, I mean, for anyone to understand because everyone's situation can be very different. Um, and for me, I identify as someone with housing insecurity, especially because the housing on campus, it's a nine month contract, but a, for a month from December through January, we get kicked out. And so we need to find a place to stay every December, every summer, and hopefully we get campus, we get housing on campus. I mean, leave as in you, your your teddy bear and your tea kettle can stay there, but you have to leave or you actually have to physically move? Um, you get to keep your belongings there, but you are not allowed to be on campus for that month. Wow. Okay. That's really weird. Okay. And uh, the university does allow people to stay over the breaks in certain um, types, in certain housings, but it's really complicated because obviously you're not allowed to move your stuff and you still would have to be moved to a different location for a very small period of time. And then also I think they charge you extra um, if you are going to be living on campus, um, even though you're already paying for your housing contract throughout the entire school year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so the Renaissance scholars, we, we used to be told guaranteed housing. You get to come to school, live here. I got here. They said, oh, never mind. And um, for December, I, we all get very nervous around December because we don't know where we're going to live. And so they said, oh, we made a deal with you know certain hotels. And so we get reduced rates, but we still have to pay similar to a hotel rate for the month. But we're not allowed to be on campus. But for spring break, we are. December would be right when there are finals. So that is not the time that you really want to be thinking about um, anything much besides, you know, fun, maybe a little bit, but mainly about school. Wow, that's stressful. 
you're still keen on studying, Natalie, or no? You're going to stay? You're going to leave? <laughs> I'm kind of uh, thinking about leaving. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not very like, um, obviously, I don't have a lot of experience yet as a freshman. But um, yeah, yeah, it does sound really crazy. Laws can make a difference with housing insecurity. New housing will make a difference, too. One of the student housing options at UCSC is called Camper Park. Abby Kundal had talked about this earlier in this podcast. Here's Zenon Olyate Crow. Well, it was really interesting you brought up the Camper Park earlier because actually the Camper Park was an initiative that was started by students because students wanted it. Um, and because it was something that very much was actually something that was seen as an appealing kind of thing for students to have access to because the rental rates of the camper park are extremely cheap compared to the rest of campus. But you don't have to bring your own camper, right? It's there or you do have to bring your own? They, they used to have you bring your own camper, but now there are permanent campers that are situated there. Um, and, and so the, the interesting thing is it, talking about like short-term solutions, long-term solutions is um, one thing that we've been discussing a lot is safe parking. Um, and really one of the hardest things is a lot of students are experiencing vehicular homelessness. Um, and so what that looks like is that doesn't necessarily look like, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, they're living out of their vehicle, but it looks like a student might live with their parents at home on the weekends and they have classes on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And, you know, it's maybe 150 miles to get back to their home. And so what they'll do is they'll come to Santa Cruz, go to a class for a day, sleep in their vehicle for two nights, and then go to the class the next day and then drive back. Um, and so safe parking sites is basically the idea that just having a, a safe space with access to Wi-Fi, water, electricity, showers, food, um, and knowing you're not going to get harassed at night. Um, by either people coming out to give you a parking ticket or by people who are just out and about. Um, you know, like I, I, was, I, was, I remember I was reading experience from a student that was talking about how they uh, um, were, you know, sleeping in their vehicle. And then at like 3 a.m., they got a rap on their door. And then the person who rapped on the door walked away, but they never went back to sleep because then they spent the rest of the night terrified of like, well, who is this person that knocked on my door? Um, and so having that's scary, that, that's, it's, yeah. it's scary. I did. Uh, and I have that in my story that I've been writing at Long Beach City College actually has the safe parking uh, thing. And I was like, wow, that's so so I guess you enter and then you can use the showers and the restrooms, but you can't exit after 11 or something like that. So I guess it's monitored in some way. Yeah, and 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 Long Beach program is tricky as well because Long Beach. So so um, what UC Santa Cruz does is UC Santa Cruz uh, does offer assistance to put students up in hotel rooms for up to a month, um, and they will they will do that while they try and connect you to permanent housing, um, and that can work for some people that really are uh, in that need for finding that permanent housing. But a that permanent housing is not going to be affordable for students, especially for all students are speaking experiencing this homelessness, um, and then b um, what students' needs are actually doesn't necessarily mean that students don't want to live out of their vehicles. And I think that's kind of like a hard thing to unpack, but there are actually a lot of students that make a very conscious choice that this is the best for my situation right now. And they're not going to be able to afford to move it into whatever place the university is going to provide them after that 30-day hotel stay. Or they're not going to be able to, you know, be able to get back home because where are they going to park their car if they're on campus? Because now we can't have on-campus parking permits. And on-campus parking permits are like 600 bucks, 700 bucks. So uh, like A semester or a year? A year. Okay, but still. 
yikes and so so uh, essentially the point being though is that like the university um when you talk about safe parking they offer to say we have this hotel program we have programs to get people permanently housed but that ignores the reality that for some people maybe it actually is a better choice for them and their lives to have that safe parking and i think it's important that we meet people where their needs are and we be making sure that for people that do have to feel the need to sleep in their vehicles they are being provided with all the wraparound services and amenities that you would expect um if you were a university student i just moved here and so like just the things that i've heard from the people around me living in the dorms currently as a freshman is that like um right now in the marrow dorms there's been a lot of like changes recently of like trying to like cram people in almost into the dorms like i said before the place i'm in right now is a quintuple which used to be um the common room for the floor and so now we don't actually have a floor common room we just have like this giant room with that fits five people and also there are no doubles or there's like i think only like a couple doubles on our floor now there's only um singles and triples and the reason why they have singles and not like doubles is because they can't fit a desk a wardrobe and or two desks two wardrobes and two beds into the space of a single but they have a large triple and a normal size triple which rumor has it used to be so the, the regular size triple used to be the double that they just crammed three beds into now and then the large triple is now still a triple. So there's two types of triples and then singles and quints. Universities and colleges, not just in California, are keen on more students and they are growing. But it's difficult to make provisions for that increase in student numbers. They want more people to come in and so they're allowing more people to come in. But as a result, the the things set in place for the people who are here in the housing has greatly decreased, like our, our quality of life almost. So, well, yeah, like a common room is really important. And oh, and by the way, because I was just looking at my notes, the slug shelter, I think, has been put on hold, right? There were people who organized the shelter, and I don't think it was the Student Housing Coalition. It was another organization, right? And That's and to, to add on as well to what Natalie was talking about earlier with the dorms. So I actually lived in Merrill dorms uh, my first year, um, and there were septuples on our floor. So we no longer had any lounge spaces, um, seven people in a room. It's just seven bunk beds with desks below. I think there was also eight tuples on the floor below me. Um, and that's, by the way, with no increase in bathroom facilities, we had two stalls for about 35 people. Uh, on our floor. Um, so it was it was it was a little bit brutal, uh, to say the least. Um, but what, one of the tricky things to, to provide context on a lot of this uh, and why the university has chosen to go this route of packing more people in the rooms is um, the university uh, is, is kind of being pulled from two directions uh, when it comes to these different things. So there's statewide, uh, the legislature and the governor set uh, enrollment increase targets for the universities. And so the universities have to meet those enrollment increase targets, which is a great thing because we're providing access to opportunity for all sorts of students um, that are made, you know, providing a gateway to generational wealth and to uplifting people out of poverty in the greatest public education system in the world. You know, like seriously, UC CSU Community College is just an incredible system. Um, and so we want to be promoting those goals, but at the same 
point, um, the actual the local city uh, and the city government has consistently, consistently throughout the years been in lawsuits with the university over its proposed enrollment growth. And this is since it's founded, um, has been in these lawsuits. A common room is important. I also asked the students about the Slug Shelter, the project that Abby Kundal had worked on with Connor Kensuk that you heard about earlier in this podcast episode. Yeah, so it was a separate initiative that was started by a few students a, a few years back. Um, and they, a lot of those students have since graduated, but they spent a lot of time um, working on this. And essentially, they had worked with a local uh, homeless services provider that was um, relocating a mobile unit that they had um, of about eight beds, um, just a mobile, mobile trailer um, that was used for services. And so they uh, had reached out and talked with this um, affordable housing provider and the affordable housing provider was willing to give it to them so that they could put it on the university um, and have a kind of uh, a slug shelter um, for folks on the university for people that are living, experiencing homelessness. Um, but the university itself stopped that. Um, so the university, even though it was a free, you know, a free uh, site, it, it wouldn't have cost the money to get the actual building. Um, it would have just sat in a parking lot um, and would have been a resource, but uh, after a lot of persistent lobbying to get the university to accept it, they wouldn't have accepted it for all the same reasons I was talking about earlier with, with what they were talking about for the 30-day hotel stay. Um, and in general, it's probably just bad PR for the university to say, yes, we need to have a homeless shelter on our campus for students. In Groningen, in the Netherlands, I heard about housing insecurity, too. A student explained that there had been an effort underway to internationalize Dutch universities. More students have arrived, also many foreign students, and people are getting stuck without housing. The city and the university have been trying to change matters, but there, too, projects have been delayed. Back to Santa Cruz and Zenon Olyate Crow. Basically, the the city's perspective is that the university shouldn't expand unless it can house 100% of new students. And so there was a lawsuit about this back in 2008. Um, and ultimately, the university lost the lawsuit um, and basically was told that for every new enrollment, you have to add a new bed. You don't have to add a new unit. You have to add a new bed. And so they added more beds to the existing rooms. And then right. compounding on top of all of this is that we haven't had, I mean, we have an, we have an expansion project that's gonna be coming online next year, um, but it's a smaller expansion. Um, it's kind of utilizing already existing spaces uh, with new units, but it's not that large scale. We haven't had a new college built since 2002 or 2003. Um, and that one project I was talking about, Student Housing West, the university basically put all of their eggs in one basket. Student Housing West would increase the amount of on-campus housing by 25%. Just Student Housing West, just this one project. And so... Um, Which is good news, but yeah. if it stopped, then it's bad news. Wow. Exactly. And so and so the, the, the it's been a, a double-edged sword where, or it's, a, I guess, triple-edged sword where you've got the state pushing for more enrollment growth, the city saying, if you want to enroll more people, you have to house 100% of them. And then individuals within the community being able to say, actually, we don't even want any new housing at all. And this all comes into this final warped awfulness that becomes UC Santa Cruz. And I guess, you know, I, I want to be conscious of the fact that I guess, you know, people from different backgrounds, let's say someone with uh, the background like Emerald has or people of color or single parents 
or um, LGBTQ, um, you know, it's just like you, you have enough hurdles already and then you just have more of those, right? Living in very close, cramped quarters is not great for mental health, right? And I'm no mental health professional, but... Hmm. I just wanted to add that there's, you know, an additional problem. So say there's some extra housing downtown that you want to get. As a student who's, you know, in their 20s or younger, probably doesn't have a very great credit score because we haven't had credit cards for very long. They require a great credit score, but many of them don't allow you to have a co-signer. So it's basically a way to say no students. Oh, wow. That's hard. Yeah. So that's really like a subtle and not so subtle form of discrimination. Renting as a student is hard for many reasons, especially if, say, you have not had credit for a long time or your credit score is bad. Housing insecurity creates all kinds of challenges for students, and it's just not a way to create an environment for studying, especially for people who have had a difficult time to even get to a college or university because they have faced homelessness themselves or challenging situations of many kinds. Another person who is also on the call is Nicholas Robles. So I'm going on to my third year. And I'm studying environmental studies and sociology. I'm also part of the UCSC Student Housing Coalition. I'm the communications chair. And um, there's been a lot of um, mental tolls on students as well with housing and just dealing with the situation as well. And so one thing that I've seen is that when there was a lack of housing for the moving on years or like the oncoming years, there's also a lot of students who just gave up on this university and coming into this university as well. Like I remember some of my coworkers just saying that they were going to, they were going to go to a different college back in their hometown because they were, they're not locals. So they did just stay back in their local towns. And that's really, it's really sad to see because Having that barrier of housing separate all of this opportunity that you've worked so hard to earn is just, it's really sad. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, the, the nuanced thing, though, too, right? It's not that people um, are, it's not dramatic. It's more like the successive hurdles that just wear you down. Yeah, 100%, because... There's like that whole U.S. pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality of you'll get through it and you, you're you the one who has to get through it. But honestly, that's not really realistic for a lot of students. And if they're already dealing with housing insecurity and on top of that, like getting assimilated with the new living situations that they have and this whole like new local culture, it's it's a lot of hurdles, like you're saying, that it will wear you down real quick if if it's just you're not used to it. That was Conversations with Scientists. Today, a conversation with students and former students who shared their experiences, thoughts, and their activism about housing insecurity. The people in today's podcast are Abby Kandol, Natalie Clifford, Emerald Waters, Zenon Olyate Crow, and Nicholas Robles. The music in this podcast is Nonsense by Raw, licensed from Artlist.io. And I will just add, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, nobody paid to be in 
this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.